This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to our Thursday, January 16th edition of Invest Talk, January 16th, 2020. I know it's pretty crazy, right? And we're in the third week of the new year and the new decade, and the market just seems to be loving that liquidity wave from the Federal Reserve. And, you know, we've seen a little bit of volatility around the news that the tariffs are going to remain in place for the basically the balance of the year, but that didn't deter the market from making a new high once again. And I, as you know, Steve and I focus our attention each and every weekday to helping you get your investment strategies aligned with your goals, your risk tolerance levels, and your performance objectives. And you know, this is an ongoing process, and especially in a market like this, it can be challenging to know how to navigate it. So our goal here each and every weekday is to give you the tools, give you the tools to make better decisions, not just today, but ongoing for hopefully the rest of your lives and build yourself, help you build yourself towards your own version of financial freedom. I'm Justin Klein and I hope you will call me with your investing and money related questions. Our anytime listener line is open right now, so I'm taking your calls live at 888-99-CHART. That's 888-992-4278. And as you might know, Steve has scheduled two consultation trips, one from t- one week from tomorrow. So uh, next Friday, January 24th, will be in Dallas, Texas for no-cost portfolio reviews. And I believe he has one spot left, so if you want to meet with him, reach out to us through our website. Uh, or if you want to meet with them in New York City, January 29th and 28th, Tuesday and Wednesday. So uh, about a week, a little over two weeks from t- today. And you can do that. You can schedule yourself on his calendar through investtalk.com as well. Just click on portfolio review. Now, my main talking point today concerns a story. A new survey says 75% of people consider themselves to be financially savvy. Now, what does that mean? And what does that also mean for making budgets and making mistakes and their habits? Because right? you can consider yourself financially savvy, but are you actually making savvy decisions? That's, you know, it's easier said than done is the old saying, right? So we're going to look at what reality has been uh, for these uh, I believe it was, was it Citigroup. I'm trying to remember what bank it was. It was a bank that did a survey on their oh, key bank. There we go. Key bank did a survey on their customers. And I think that'll be pretty instructive. Also, there's a new thing called the secure act that will likely increase the odds that you'll see an annuity in your 401k. And we're going to talk about why that has happened and whether that makes sense. Also, we're now in January, a new year, a new decade. And what aspects should you be thinking about starting in the new year when it comes to your investments as well as your financial plan and investment life? So 
we're going to touch on that. And then lastly, forced technology transfer. This will be an important aspect of any next phase in the trade deal with China. And I think it's important to really understand what that means and how that might affect the negotiations for that next phase. And whether it's you know, how big of how important it is, shall I say, to uh, our country and that future trade deal. So time permitting, that's what I want to talk about. But ultimately, it's what is on your mind. Any money questions, any finance related questions, I urge you to give your give the anytime number a call, 888 chart, 888 Let's look at the market today. A solid up day. Um, no real news. <laughs> Just another wave of positive liquidity out of the Federal Reserve, which pushed the small caps up about 1.3%, S&P about 0.8%, NASDAQ a little less than 1%. So a pretty solid green day. Not a shocker here. Nothing really at this moment to upset the Apple cart. We are starting their earnings season so far. There's only about 18 or so companies from the S&P that have reported earnings for the fourth quarter and has been negative uh, about 7% year over year, but it's a small sample size. So we'll see where that goes, but definitely something to watch as well as where rates are going to go. This small uptick, two basis points on the 10-year increase today, kind of reversing yesterday's move. Uh, but we're in that one point. Let's see, what are we at now? Pull this up real quick. <clears throat> we are at one point, yeah, eight one percent on the ten year. This is going to be an important thing to watch. Uh, important aspect of where the market can head this year. I'm talking about the equity markets. You know, last year I talked about this about a week or two ago. That ninety-two percent of the gains last year had to do with. Multiple expansion, right? Where companies were just trading at richer valuations, and not eight percent of the gain was actually earnings growth. Okay, so very modest earnings growth for the full year. We're still waiting on the fourth quarter still, but it looks like there's going to be modest earnings growth. And the big reason why we had multiple expansion was because the ten-year dropped. The ten-year dropped pretty dramatically last year, about a third, right? From about three percent to well under 2% at the close of the year, which means, you know, I've talked about this before in valuations and how important it is for the discount rate when it comes to valuation models. And when you see the 10-year move in that dramatic fashion, the discount rate increases the value of current or the current value of future cash flows or future earnings. So that's why multiples expanded because those future earnings, future cash flows suddenly became more valuable today. Now, I know that can be complex, but that's that's hopefully as simply as I can put it. And that was a big reason why we saw multiple expansion last year. Now, the big question is where will rates go? If rates stay range bound, which we kind of expect, why? Because the Fed's unlikely to do much. Uh, any change in policy is likely to be around the the repo facility and how much money they're going to print in order to keep that market tame, uh, especially in the light of trillion-dollar deficits and uh, that are likely to continue this year. That will be the most important factor that pushes rates either up or down. If we stay in this range, it's going to be you know kind of the 1.6 to 2 percent range on the 10-year. It's going to be more important for earnings to grow. 
if you see a breakout in yields above the two mark, 2.2, 2.5, somewhere in that range, that's going to be a big setback for equity markets, bond markets, just asset valuations in general. And what might drive that will be will be interesting. Or do we get a retrenchment back to that 1.5, 1.4 mark on the 10-year? And then once again, you could see more multiple expansion in the market. So that's kind of what we see right now. Now, as you know, I like to kick off, kick, start the show with a caller question. And here we go. This came in earlier at 888.99 chart. Hi, Steve. I had a quick question about uh, mergers. So what would happen when a company is looking to buy out another company and you have shares of, we'll just say company A has shares of about $150 and company B, the company that is looking to sell to company A, is only worth about 10 Do you think I should keep my stocks or sell my stocks? Thank you. Well, your variables that you're talking about matter none <laughs> at all. Uh, so, And this is a, a common mistake that most people make. They look at a company, they say it's trading at $300 a share, and another company is trading at $40 a share, and they think that company uh, that's trading at $300 is worth more, has higher value than the one at $40 a share. And that can not be any further from the truth. It has all to do with the market cap, enterprise value of the business. You can have a company trading at $30 a share with a $700 billion market cap, and you can have another company trading at $1,000 a share with a $1 billion market cap, right? So it's all in relation to how many shares are outstanding and earnings, et cetera, okay? So everyone should ignore, that. no one should ever compare two companies simply based on what the current share price is. Okay? You have to look at two companies in relation to its multiple shares outstanding, its earnings, its cash flow, etc. And that's how you can compare two companies. So when you're looking at mergers or anything like that, the absolute dollar amount that the, the shares trade out matters not. Okay? Now what you have to look at is what company A that's purchasing company B, What? how are they buying it? Are they buying it in shares? Are they buying it in cash? Are they buying it in a mix of two, of the two? So it can be, can be all, all of those options. Now when you're owning company B that's getting bought out and say you're getting bought out with stock, right? You're going to get, like I said, sometimes it's a little bit of both. You get a little bit of cash as well as you get a certain amount of stock and then that's that's how it goes. But you have to look at how you're getting that money and that's more important. And whether you should hold the stock, do you want to hold it so that you get the new stock or do you want to sell it and move on? Good question. Great call. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. If you've been listening to Invest Talk for a while, you've probably heard me say that I believe every investor should determine their own risk tolerance. And the first step to do that is to take our risk questionnaire over at investtalk.com. It's by Riskalyze. It's free. So go check it out. And now I'm ready to take your questions at 888-99-CHART. It's another busy investor work week. You've got investment and financial questions, and Steve and Justin are ready to give you their unbiased guidance. The Invest Talk phone lines are open, so call now, 888-99-CHART. 
888-99 chart, 888-992-4278. Let's check in on check in on the housing market. And how's it doing? Well, it's doing fairly well, especially in the back half of 2019. So let's look at some numbers and we can talk about why people are showing a greater interest in purchasing. Well, the first factor, of course, is low interest rates. The 30-year mortgage rate is now at 3.65%. And it's kind of flattened out, right? We hit a low in September, about 3.5 or so, and hit a high in the fall of, what's that, 3.8 or so? No, at 3.65. So kind of in the middle of that range and been flattening out along with the 10-year treasury. So that shouldn't be a shock to anyone. But what it also says is, once again, going back to my my point earlier about where rates are going to go, lower rates are better for asset values in general, equities, as well as housing. So if rates peak back up above the 4% mark, I think you're going to see another slowdown in housing. You know, a little bit above 4, probably not a big deal. A decent amount above four, you know, you're talking, you know, four and a quarter, four and a half. Then I think you'll see a, a bigger slowdown. But a lot of the this these lower interest rates have finally fed into the housing market. I've talked about this before. Is housing market is not like the stock market. It takes a long time, 30, 60, 90 days for houses that go on market to be sold and actually change hands. Okay, so you typically see a very lagged effect. And so early in 2019, the housing market was fairly weak and built strength throughout the year as more people took advantage of lower and lower interest rates. So be aware of that. Now, mortgage purchase applications for loans to buy homes jumped 16% last week to a level not seen since 2009. So mortgage applicants, so people looking to buy homes, taking advantage of those lower rates are increasing and increasing. Now, sentiment for the National Association of Home Builders index dipped a bit, but still well above where we were in last January. But and last month's reading was near a 20 month, a 20 year high, excuse me. So even better than the, the peak housing market. So a lot of the positivity is finally priced into a lot of these housing stocks, home builders, etc. So keep that in mind. Give me a call, 888-99-CHART. We are only days away from Steve Peasley's Dallas, Texas consultation trip. That'll be on Friday, January 24th. And tell your investor friends that Steve will then travel on to New York City for portfolio review consultations on January 28th and 29th. You can learn more and register now at investtalk.com. Let's go to Cherie in San Mateo looking at some gold ETFs. Yes, hi. Um, so I'm a new time. I'm actually getting into this just recently. Uh, kind of a little confused on how to purchase ETFs. And uh, is this the best time to buy? And uh what are the different types of ETFs that are there I can purchase in gold? You're talking about in the gold space? Yes. Okay. 
Well, the two most popular would be GDX or GDXJ. GDX typically will hold bigger, more established gold miners. GDXJ, uh, those are the junior miners, so smaller companies, more speculative, shall we say. So they're certainly going to be more volatile. Uh, but GDX is already pretty volatile in, in itself. Uh, typically, gold miners have about a two and a half to three times the correlation to gold prices in general. So you're already getting a, a lot of uh, correlation to gold, gold just by go buying the miners. So it's really up to you, your level of risk tolerance that you have. Uh, now, you, the, how you buy an ETF is just the same way you buy any ETF. I mean, it's just like a stock. You go buy it in the on the exchange, just like you would any any company. So um, there's no real difference. Uh, hopefully your broker now is commission-free. I don't know who you're using. But, I actually have an account um, so, with uh, Charles Block, the 401k. So I was wondering, uh, okay. can I buy it from Charles Block? Uh, yeah, if you, I'm assuming it's called it's self-directed brokerage account. It's not limited to just mutual funds, correct? Yeah, so you should be able to buy any ETF you want, any stock you want. Uh, so I don't see any reason why you shouldn't be able to do do that, buy an ETF uh, at Charles Schwab uh, with your in your four hundred one k. So uh, you just buy it just like any other stock. Go buy, go you know, purchase a certain number of shares based on how many how much you want of your overall portfolio. All right, thank you. No problem. Thanks for the call. That was GDX and GDXJ. If you want more bang for the, or I guess more potential upside, you're definitely going to look at GDXJ most likely. Uh, but sometimes, even in an up market, GDX can outperform GDXJ, just not quite as often. So FYI there. <clears throat> now, my main talking point today concerns the story that the new survey is that 75% of key bank customers consider themselves to be financially savvy, but half admit, admit to making financial missteps in the past year. Now, we all know generally how to strengthen our finances, but that's easier said than done, right? And the odds are that you've still made some bad decisions with your money over the past 12, 24 months or so. We all, we all slip from time to time, so don't feel bad about yourself. Now, more than half have admitted to making poor financial choices, even though three quarters find themselves to be financially savvy, or at least believe they're financially savvy. So understanding how to make better financial decisions isn't always the same as actually making them. Now, the biggest misstep was stepping outside of their budget, right? You make a budget and you don't actually stick to it. So it's one thing to know about it. It's another to implement it on a day-to-day -day and month-to-month -month basis, right? So a quarter of participants admitted to making impulse purchases. And that's really the, the biggest reason why people step outside of their budget is they just say, screw it. I'm just going to do it. I, it's what I want right now. And financial repercussions be damned. And a third failed to save for an emergency fund. So that's the next biggest mistake that most people make is they know they should be saving three to six months of their monthly costs in a retirement or sorry, in a, in a uh, emergency fund, but 
Most fail to do that. Now, the first thing you need to understand about, about this is to build a budget, build a sound budget around your cash flows, not the budget that you want, but the budget that is realistic based on the cash flows you know you're going to have. So you need to reconcile your budget with your spending patterns on a consistent basis as well. Adjust it. A budget isn't something you just set and forget. There are aspects of your budget that you may be able to trim in the future, but not today. Or you might look at your budget three, six months from now and say, well, I'm spending money on this, but it's not quite as important as I thought it would be. And I cut this, but I really want that back. I really want to be able to do X, Y, and Z. So most people create unrealistic budgets or too aggressive budgets, and they don't stick to them. And part of that is not being honest with yourself and not really recalibrating that over time. Now, four out of 10 survey participants said they could come could come up with $2,000 in the next month for an emergency, which is pretty crazy. Only 40%. So make sure you're not one of those six out of 10, right? That can't. So that's certainly important. And like I said, review that budget on a consistent basis. Now, in the next Invest Talk, this opinion. Big changes are coming to healthcare in 2020. The cost of healthcare affects every American. And a new trend is on the way in the sector. That story tomorrow. I'm Justin Klein, and I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk, made possible by KPP Financial, where they describe their services as independent thinking, shared success. And this philosophy is why KPP Financial can be of great value to investors. KPP principals Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are committed to unbiased guidance. They don't upsell clients into expensive and questionable investments. Instead, Steve and Justin provide honest opinions and proven strategies based on the individual's current portfolio and risk tolerance. Working with KPP Financial, you can be assured of consistent dedication toward the goal of helping you achieve financial freedom. You can get things started with a phone call or a simple message through investtalk.com. Take the next step toward your financial freedom. Contact KPP Financial. This is Invest Talk, the radio program and podcast dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom. You may be a regular listener. You may even have called a few times. But if you've never called, what are you waiting for? The phone lines are open, and Steve and Justin would love to hear your questions right now. Call 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Matt in San Francisco. He wants to talk about silver as well as the VIX index. Hey, Justin. Hello. Hi, Justin. Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Hello. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I, yes, can you hear is, me? Um, what do you What do you think about silver? It seems like it's okay. at an all time low. And then my other question is, can you explain the VIX? I was watching that during the Iran uh, situation. It didn't even budge. Mm-hmm. Sure. I'll uh, I'll start with silver. Uh, it's definitely come off its lows uh, since the the summer of last year. Kind of hit a double bottom, a little bit higher low, uh, and it's been going up with gold, especially late in the late in 2019, and been consolidating 
since uh, it's high in what's that August September. Uh, still, I still like silver. Uh, I think everyone should have some exposure to silver as well as gold. If I'm picking one or the other, I'm going to go with gold. But silver definitely should have the same similar tailwinds as gold is having right now. So nothing wrong with some exposure to silver. I still like the miners. You have to be pretty selective on which ones you own uh, that you know are well run, etc. But silver is certainly a good place to allocate some of your portfolio as well. And then on the VIX, the okay. VIX index is simply a put call ratio. So it's low. When it's low, it means that not many people are purchasing puts as for protection versus calls. You know that you know there are speculating on the upside of the market. So when the VIX spikes, that means more pe- more people are out there purchasing puts creating protections for their portfolio. Uh, and right now, with the VIX fairly low, uh, that means that very few people are increasing their exposure to puts to hedge the market. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, totally. <clears throat> okay, so the, the, yeah, you guys are awesome. <clears throat> Thank you for all your knowledge, and I appreciate your show. No problem, Matt. Thanks for the call. Great questions. Let's go to Grace in San Jose, looking at Baidu or Alibaba. Yeah, hi. Hi, Justin. Thanks for taking my call. Um, So I'm interested in getting this uh, either Baidu or Alibaba, and I'm just wondering which one would would be better to pick at the market right now. Okay. Well, first off, I don't love the Chinese stocks in general. I just think there's uh, a lot of geopolitical tension that is going to increase in general over time. Um, now, Baidu has is down on its luck over the past 12, 18 months or so from a high of around $275 a share, hit a low of $93 a share late last year, and now we're at $139 a share. So it's rebounding a little bit, but their business is certainly slowed. It's the last two quarters, revenue growth has been negative, and that's actually increasing from 2% two quarters ago to negative 10% last quarter. And earnings have been in reverse for four straight quarters, down 37% last quarter. And earnings for 2019 as total should go down about 43% once they report earnings sometime this quarter for the fourth quarter. So uh, I know they're having some issues with... Um, the government uh, in in China, and that's really the biggest issue here is that the government can make or break businesses uh, in China, especially the technology companies with the the reins that they have on technology companies in that country, and so that's that's really the big issue here. It's a forty eight billion dollar company as opposed to Alibaba is a five hundred and eighty two billion dollar company, so very different stratospheres when it comes to valuation. Alibaba's about 12 times the size, uh, at least in, in valuation. And their earnings are up 30% last quarter, revenue up 35%, still continue to grow. Uh, now, it's a, it's a business that is more complex. They have a lot of different parts of their business that really can be hard to analyze. Uh, I know I've read reports and it's just hard to really understand their businesses. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why I don't love China companies, Chinese companies, because they're just very hard to understand. Uh, if I'm picking one or the other, I'm probably picking 
actually Baidu, uh, mainly because I think it has a more upside uh, of its business and it's been down on its luck and I think it can turn itself around as long as you know it can get on the, back in the good graces of, no pun intended grace, <laughs> of the Chinese government. So um, from a valuation perspective, it's much cheaper and I think it has more upside of you know turning around its business um, from where it's been over the past uh, year or so. So I, I like Baidu over Alibaba, and I can understand its business a little better. Does that make sense? Yeah. Thank you very much. No problem. Thanks for the call, Grace. That was Baidu, B-I-D-U, or Alibaba. Frankly, I don't love either, but if I'm picking one, I'm going with Baidu. 8899 chart, 8899242278. We have about 15 minutes left in the show. So if you're going to call, you want to do it ASAP. It's going to go by quickly. Let's talk a little bit about the SECURE Act. This is something that was recently passed. And for insurance companies, it's a big deal. And they lobbied hard for this in Congress. And they definitely greased plenty of palms to get this moving. And it took effect on January 1st. And it makes it easier for employers to include annuities as one of the investment options within a 401k. Now, employers have been allowed to include them in the past, but few actually did. Why? Because one of the big risks with annuities is what if the insurance company goes under? That's certainly a possibility. It's something why you have to look at any annuity that you're looking at. You have to understand the strength of the insurance company that's backing it. They're complex instruments backed up by complex businesses. And... Most lawyers would tell companies that you don't want to risk yourself of having some of the one of these insurance companies go under. But this new legislation kind of exempts the companies from liability around this. And therefore it's more com- going to become more common that annuities are allowed within a 401k. Now one of the big problems is that if you're young, should you really be allocating some money to an annuity? Or are the fees within the annuity that becomes complex as well? So what it does is reduces the fiduciary obligation that 401k sponsors must meet when selecting these annuities. And that could come with some poor consequences. Basically, less scrutiny, right? Saying you don't really need to scrutinize these as much as you used to in the past, and therefore they're more likely to be lax on the analysis, right? And so, while annuities do have their place, I think, in potentially anyone's portfolio or anyone's mix of assets, almost no variable annuity is a good place to be or universal life policy. I know a lot of people tend to get pitched that those as well. But, Maybe a fixed annuity, somebody who's later in life, who wants to guarantee their income stream in retirement, it could be a good place to be. However, for the vast majority of people, it's not going to be the most advantageous choice. It may be safer, true, but long term, it doesn't tend to be the best choice. And what's interesting here is that 
the fiduciary standard that they're talking about implementing in industry, this actually reverses it. It actually loosens up this and, and opens up retirees to the potential for more abuse from the broker industry, right? Those that are selling annuities. And insurance companies are hoping that once their products get into 401k plans, more people will put money into them. And that's what they're really banking on here. And that's why insurance companies lobbied very hard to get this act passed. But it's definitely not in the best interest of retirees. I'm Justin Klein. You're listening to Invest Talk. And for the record, we do keep track of our downloads. We're exceeding 19.5 million downloads in the history of Invest Talk. And we appreciate your continued support. We're averaging about 450,000 Invest Talk downloads per month. And of course, you can call our anytime listener line and leave your investment and market questions, and we'll answer them on the radio show or podcast in the future. And you can reach myself or Steve at investtalk.com as well, or you can call our KPP financial offices in Irvine, California. But for now, our phone lines are open at 888-99-CHART. InvestTalk is made possible by KPP Financial. InvestTalk hosts Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are the principals of KPP Financial, and they are independent financial advisors. This means they place their clients' interests ahead of the firm's. As part of that commitment, KPP Financial practices parallel investing, where Steve and Justin's accounts participate with client investments at equal prices and percentages. You can learn more about Parallel Investing and the other KPP financial programs at investtalk.com. The phone lines are open. Steve and Justin welcome your questions. Call now, 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steve and Justin, this is Andrew from Indiana. Really appreciate the show. I had a question about lump sum distribution that I have sitting in cash that I managed to roll into an uh, IRA, a Roth IRA. And I'm curious, is it better to put that into um, something like the S&P ETF since I have about 30 years until retirement? Or is it wiser to put that into something like a uh, Vanguard 2050 fund? That way it automatically adjusts. Part B of my question is, should I dollar cost average that? And if so, how frequently should I do that? Or should I go ahead and put all of the cash into the retirement fund and be done with it? Uh, appreciate your show, and I uh, look forward to hearing the answer on the podcast. Thanks. All right, great question. I don't love either of those options, but if you have 30 years to retirement, the S&P is probably the better way to go, and I would dollar cost average, especially where the market is today. So, you know, the, a lot of those retirement target-dated funds, they have a glide path. The glide path isn't necessarily the best glide path for you individually. It's just kind of a generic one. Uh, so your individual goals and your retirement date uh, and your uh, your income in both today and in the future, as well as your, your goals in retirement, right? Your spending habits in retirement, whether you're going to travel the world or just hang out at home with your grandkids, all those are important factors that can adjust how aggressive you should be, your risk tolerance level as well. That's important. So all these things are, are important to consider. And the 2020 fund is something that's just going to be generic. Um, and the S&P, you know, you get diversification. And even though it's a, an expensive valuation today, uh, I would start to dollar cost average if you're going to do that. Let's go to Tim in San Ramon looking at technical analysis. 
Hi, Justin. Um, thank you for taking my call. So you uh, frequently refer to uh, consolidating bearishly or bullishly. I'm wondering what's the mm -hmm. difference between this and topping or basing. Sure. Well, consolidation is typically a it's it's consolidating in order to make its next move, and that next move typically is the previous move. Um, so when a when a stock goes up rather quickly, say in a short period of time, and then kind of trends sideways for a little while, that would be called bullish consolidation in general, right? And there's there's, there's different caveats and things like that, but the, in general terms, that's what bullish consolidation means. But if you see a relatively sharp drop in a short period of time, and then uh, consolidation, you know, choppiness over an extended period, that would be bearish consolidation. Uh, so that's the difference between that. And what was your other question? The topping as well as what? Uh, topping and basing. So my my question is basically the difference between uh, bullish consolidation and topping or bearish consolidation mm -hmm. and uh, and basing. How do you differentiate topping from uh, from bullish consolidation? Because Topping, my understanding yeah. is topping, you also have like a plateau and then it goes down. Yeah, I mean, topping can be, I think topping and basing are two very different things. Basing is more similar to just consolidation, right? You can have basing in a, in a, in a positive manner or a negative manner. Um, so basing to me is just kind of consolidation, right? Chopping kind of sideways. Topping uh, patterns, there can be many different type of topping patterns. It can top very quickly where you hit a certain uh, resistance point, reverses quickly, and you go straight down. You can have a topping pattern that kind of uh, is a broadening top where you kind of chop sideways for an extended period of time around a certain level, but it's general distribution by shareholders, and eventually it rolls over. So you know these are very general um our invest talk academy members the yeah, i did do some some lessons on this so if you want to become a member uh there are a lot of lessons that are more detailed on this um but you know i'm talking in general terms so there those when it comes to technical analysis there's a lot uh, a lot of terms a lot of uh jargon that you really need to come become accustomed to and there are caveats to all of this, you know, because you can look at certain indicators like a MACD or RSI. Those can be helpful on top of the pricing patterns in general, as well as the, the moving averages. So technical analysis is an art, not a science. You know, nothing's ever 100% uh, right. It, it just helps you make general decisions uh, that overlay on top of the fundamental analysis and uh, economic and, and market analysis in, in the backdrop. So, and you need to look at a lot of charts. It's not something you can really master in a short period of time. It's, a, it's about studying a lot of different types of charts and a lot of different types of patterns as well. So um, I'm glad you're looking into it because it can be very useful, uh, but it takes some time to really understand the jargon and sharpen your skills. Thanks for the call, Tim. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we have one goal here, and that's to help you achieve your own particular version of financial freedom. And our work continues after our final break here. So if you're going to call, you want to do it right now at 888 99Chart. On the next Invest Talk, big changes are coming to healthcare in 2020. That's an opinion that says new trends are on the way in this sector. That story tomorrow. 
But now Justin Klein is here, ready with answers, and he's waiting for your questions. Call Justin, 888-99-CHART. Hello, my name is Jeff from Woodland, California. I'm a, uh, I'm a subscriber, and I'm wondering about ARR. I'm looking into the fundamentals of ARR, which is Armor. It's a real estate investment trust, and uh, they're showing a nice dividend. And I'm looking at the earnings per share, and they have negative earnings per share, even though the P.E. is, is reasonable. I was wondering if uh, Steve could explain uh, that process and how that can happen. I appreciate your program, and, and I'll be listening on the podcast. Thank you. Well, the reason it has a negative P.E. is because it loses money. It lost money in, at least in 2018. It lost $2.87 a share. And now 2019, uh, seems to be turning around, or at least the expectations are that it's going to turn around, but I'm not seeing it. Their business is all over the place. Um, now, earnings can be misleading sometimes, both to the upside as well as the downside, where you know they have write-offs, or uh, especially in this business, where this is a REIT, that, this is a mortgage REIT, and invests in adjustable rate mortgages, fixed rate residential mortgages, uh, mortgage-backed securities. So, I'm not sure what their portfolio looks like or why that's having this issue, but there are some major problems here. Uh, and if you look at its return on investment, return on invested capital, return on equity, it, it's it's pretty pretty poor uh, with high leverage. Um, so it's kind of all over the place. And the way that they're paying that dividend has, is is by diluting shareholders. Their, their number of shares outstanding has gone from one million in 2010 to 54 million today. So they're drastically increasing the share count in order to pay that dividend. So it's kind of financial Houdini, uh, you know, financial magic chip tricks and backflips. And I wouldn't trust it farther than I can throw it. So I would, I would absolutely stay away from this. Uh, a lot of mortgage reads can be very complex and hard to really understand. Uh, and many of them who pay high dividends pay, uh, pay, Pay, so, pay that amount by issuing shares in order to get the money to pay that dividend, which is kind of like robbing Peter to pay Paul and is never sustainable. So I absolutely would avoid this name and a lot of the mortgage REITs out there are similar to this. This looks like one of the worst I've seen, but uh, many of them are pretty poor underlying businesses with unsustainable dividends. Thanks for the call. That was ARR Armor Residential REIT. Now it's January and it's a new decade, new year, and it's about time to start looking at your your finances and checking off some to your to-do list for the start of the year. And January often is a good time to think about a few things and maybe do a wellness check on your finances. And the first question basically is, how am I doing? You try to answer that question. And this is different depending on your life stage. And if you're younger, uh, I think the best question to ask is, are you saving enough? That's the key gauge to understanding whether you're on track, most likely. It's not your asset allocation because your asset allocation is probably based on a low dollar amount, right? And what your asset allocation today is probably not nearly as important as consistently saving to build that nest egg over time. Now, you can use the financial calculator as well to see if you're on track and plug in some variables. And a lot of the big financial firms have them. I know we have a financial planning tool that can do that. 
uh, as well if you want help with that. And you know, in the midst of a strong economy, you're probably getting a raise. You're probably doing well in your job financially. So maybe you should increase your contribution to your 401k, IRAs, etc. in 2020. Now, if you're already retired, the most important factor is probably your portfolio and your withdrawal rate. Is that sustainable? So you have to check to make sure whatever you've drawn in your portfolio over the past year passes the smell test of sustainability. But just because your portfolio might have done 15%, you might have, and it's it's still higher than it was at the beginning of the year, but you took out 10% of your portfolio to live off of, is that probably sustainable in a downturn? Probably not, right? So making sure withdrawal rate is sustainable. And then looking at your financial capital as a whole. Should you be paying down debt? Should you be paying off mortgages, credit cards, student loans, etc.? How can you maximize the money that you're bringing in? And then upping your retirement savings. The contribution limits for 401ks have gone up, and so maybe you need to adjust that as well. And then rebalancing your portfolio, maybe reducing some equity exposure, especially if you're in retirement after such a strong year. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve will be here tomorrow. Monday is a holiday and the markets will be closed and I will return next week. Now, please remember that you can access our free Invest Talk podcast downloads at iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. And be sure to listen, rate, and review. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlos Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.